premise is that there are moments in time, divine moments of God in your life and in mine and certainly in the life of the church, when we have no way to estimate the significance of the moment that we're standing in when we first stand in it. Or there's no way to understand how how you could be where you will ultimately be, how God will use a moment that you're in right now that feels completely difficult. It feels completely out of sorts. It feels like there is no good thing in it, and yet there will be a moment in your future that you can't yet see that this moment is absolutely crucial for you to be in that moment where God's plan, His divine purpose is revealed in your life. I believe completely that the church is in a moment like that right now. It doesn't feel, I mean, does anybody like this? I mean, you know, that, those, I mean, I, I'm going to be so sad when we don't get to wear masks anymore. Is there anybody like that? Because if there is, I'd just like for you to leave. <laughs> no, not really. But do you understand? I mean, there are just so many things about this period that feel less, that feel like we've lost something, that feel like we're missing things. And, and that is true. There are things. I believe that divine moments of God often, and maybe even, I'll even venture in a maybe, maybe even always start that way. And the problem is, is that if you don't, if we don't begin to move into those moments as God would have us to, we miss them. We don't end up where we're supposed to. And we're going to look at, we looked at Esther last week. We're going to look at another one today. I'm going to begin like we did last week with the end in, we're going to frame up the end and then we'll back up through some pieces of it. Acts chapter 10. Let me read it to you and then I'm going to tell you a story. Beginning in verse 44, it says this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Heavenly Father, this is a divine moment. And there is a thing, Father, for your body out in front of us. It is too much for me. It just is. There is a thing that needs to happen in the lives of each of us today, Father. And it's not going to happen in my anything. But Holy Spirit, as you work, we'll get there. That's what I ask. Holy Spirit, you take this. You speak to each individual just what they need. We'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This setting in Acts chapter 10 is peculiar because of several reasons. It's peculiar because of where it takes place. It's peculiar because of who's there. And it's peculiar because of what they all believed before they got to this moment. Peter is the main figure here. Peter is deeply entrenched in a way of thinking, in a 
in a philosophical approach about what the kingdom of God is, what it will be, about who it's for and who it's not for, that has been so ingrained in him since he's been alive that this moment is just almost unbelievable. You see, Peter has come out of a culture that has prohibitions. It's not really the law. It was their interpretation. Now, when I say the law, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament rules, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books made up the Jewish law, and the rabbis had interpreted it in some ways that really weren't the heart of God, but they have placed that into the culture, and it is so ingrained that this moment that we read about is just remarkable. The biggest part of that is this belief that the Gentiles, now what was a Gentile? In the time of Peter, a Gentile was anyone not Jewish, any, any individual. The belief in the Jewish people was that the Gentile, the whole rest of the world, especially this setting that Peter finds himself in, that these people were well, the word that they use, unclean. Look at your neighbor and say, you're unclean. That's pretty, even in this joke, that's pretty, I mean, that's kind of in your face, isn't it? You, you know, you're unclean. It, it, was, it was not just a cultural thing. It was a cultural thing that struck at how the Jews thought they were going to be able to relate to God. That if I, watch this, if I hang out with you, you do something in me so, so substantial that I can't worship God until I sort of wash you off of me. Now that's pretty, come on, you get it? And that's the way the Jews felt about the Gentiles. And there was more to it than that. It wasn't just that. It was certain places and even Gentiles within the Gentiles that were even worse than just sort of the generic feeling. There was a particular group of Gentiles that were even, and I'm going to use the word hated, more despised, more hated, and that was the Roman Gentiles. The Romans were an oppressive nation that had come in and they had put the Jewish people under their control, and they were just hated. If I hang out with you, if I spend time with you, not only am I not going to be able to worship God, I'm going to have to go literally through a whole ceremony to become clean enough to go into the temple so that I can worship and offer sacrifices again. And if I hang out with you, I'm going to be unclean. But more than that, you're not just that. You're worse than that. You're a Roman oppressor who is now literally stripped away our freedoms and our liberties. And it's not just the fact that I can't worship God. I hate you. Yeah. Among that group, there was a worse group. That wasn't just the Romans. It was Roman army guys who were literally the, they were the force of the oppression. They weren't just unclean. They were unclean. They were oppressors, but they were the, they were the sword. They were the spear. And even among that group, there was a single piece, a centurion, who was the ruler over the guys who were the spear, who were the arm 
and who were the unclean. And it's in that guy's house that Peter is standing in Acts chapter 10. You got it? You can read through that and you go, huh, ain't nothing there. Let me tell you, sister, brother, there's some stuff there. Amen? So you can't, you can't imagine. You and I read through it and you can't imagine the feeling of it when Peter sees himself there. He can't possibly imagine what that moment means. He can't imagine being there. He can't see the divinity of it before he gets there. You see, this story has begun, if we back up a little bit, and Peter is in a town that is a Jewish town called Joppa, and he's up on the roof of a man named Simon the Tanner. He's a guy that makes leather. He tans hides, makes leather, and he's provided Peter sort of a rooftop place to stay, a room to stay, and Peter is up on the roof midday, and he's waiting, he's hungry, and he's waiting for food to be brought up to him. It's in the midst of that that the scripture tells us that Peter goes into a trance. I, I don't really know exactly what a something like that, I guess, I don't know. But in this state, this, this spiritual, physically altered spiritual state, Peter has a vision. He's come out of that culture that I just described to you. And in, in this vision, he sees this sheet, like a bed sheet. And it's being held by the corners. It's, it's, you can imagine if you were great big and you, you, you took a sheet and you held it by the four corners, it'd make kind of a container. And that container comes down... And I'm assuming that when it lands on the ground, the corners come down. And Peter jumps back because coming out of it are all kinds of unclean things. Things that a Jewish person would never eat because they defile him. Just like what we've been talking about. And it's all sorts of unclean things that the, that the interpretation of the Jewish law prohibited. And there's a voice that comes from heaven and it says, Peter, remember he's hungry. Do you know the Lord will set you up? Peter, kill and eat. No. I have never eaten anything like that. I would never touch that stuff. And the voice says, don't you call unclean what I say is clean. And then the sheet goes back up. And Peter's like, wow. And then it starts coming down again. And it sets down. And I don't have any indication of this, but when I imagine the story, it opens up again. This is not in the Bible. This is, this is me. It's worse stuff the second time. Peter, kill something and eat it. Now, this isn't in the Bible either. Are you out of your mind? But that's sort of the sin. I have never, I said, it, I said it a minute ago, I don't eat this stuff. And the voice says exactly, what I say is clean, Peter. Don't you call unclean. It goes up again. If you haven't read this, third time it comes down. It opens up. You ever raise kids? You ever say, boy? Don't make me tell you a third time. You know what I'm talking about? 
I don't know that that's in the story, but that's a little bit like the Lord saying, one, <laughs> two, yeah, comes down a third time. Peter, kill something and eat it. Do, do you, do, I don't eat this stuff. I've never defiled myself. What I call clean, don't you call unclean. And instantly, there's a knock on Simon's door. And he goes and answers it. And there are men standing there, and they're from, I didn't tell you the whole story. They're not only, their master is not only a Gentile, he is a Roman, he is an army guy, he is a centurion, but he lives in a place that according to the Jewish law is so unclean that you don't even have to have any fellowship with anybody. You don't have to touch anyone if you just step foot in the city of Caesarea, named after Caesar, you're unclean. And that's where these guys have come from. And they knock on the door and they say, our master, a Roman centurion named Cornelius, watch this, a devout man, Nah, not out of the sheet. Ain't no devout stuff in the sheet. A devout man had a dream. And in the dream, he was told by the Lord to send us here to get a man who would tell us how to be saved. And the Lord speaks to Peter and he says, you go with them. And it all begins to make sense. What Peter can't yet know, though, is that he's going to go and he's going to preach. And, the, and this story that we read in Acts chapter 10 is going to happen. You see, he's not prepared at all. He doesn't know that he's prepared, but he is. Why? Because Peter can't see the moment. There was this thing that happened in the Jewish culture that Peter's never experienced. He's never been the one chosen. He can't imagine that he would be. There was a system among the rabbis where every year, the rabbis in, a, in an order, from the most significant rabbis to the least significant, rabbis were the teachers of religious law. They were, they were, they were, they were religious superstars in the Jewish culture. The most significant rabbi would have, he would literally peruse the nation and he would pick the most the brightest the best young men to study under him and then the next one would have his picks and then the next one would have his picks all the way until all the rabbis had filled up the rabbinical schools with the students the disciples that they wanted the word disciple didn't start with jesus it started with the rabbis they would pick peter and his brother andrew and james and john have come through the family business. They're all fishermen. And none of them has been chosen by a rabbi. So Peter can't imagine a moment where he's going to be used of God, pivotal in the story. He can't imagine it when he's not chosen to study under one of the rabbis. 
He can't see this moment in Acts 10 from the seashore along the Sea of Galilee in the years when he's been a fisherman. When he's drawing up those nets, when his arms are getting bigger, but his theology is not, when he's getting a better tan, he can't imagine a moment, listen, where the history of the Christian world pivots. He can't see that. Peter can see this moment when he first hears about a new rabbi. The first time his ears hear the name Jesus. He hears the growing reports of miracles and the thing. Well, we, we believe that the calling of the disciples, Jesus was already perhaps known before that happens. First moment, however that happens, when he hears about Jesus, he can't imagine that he'll be a part of this moment. The day that he looks up the beach, he's sitting on his boat. His brother Andrew is there. James and John are there. They're mending their nets. At least Peter and Andrew are certainly there at this moment. Some believe both groups. And he sees this figure walking up the beach. And he walks up to Peter and Andrew. And he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He can't see this moment. He can't feel the significance of it from there. Even when he gets up and leaves, he hasn't got this insight. Even when he's standing next to Jesus and he hears Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. And Peter sees a dead guy raised to life. He still can't see this. Jesus dies. Peter denies him. Three days later, Mary comes running. Peter, John, he's alive. Peter and John race to the tomb. Peter gets there first. Later, Jesus appears to him. And then dwells with the disciples one week two weeks three weeks four weeks 40 days Peter interacts with a resurrected a guy that he he knows was dead and he he has fellowship for 40 days with him alive and even that doesn't equip him to experience and to see this moment it's still all Jewish it's still only the clean ones it's still only this group He's on the roof in Joppa, and God three times lets a net down and tells Peter not to call unclean what he's made clean. And even in that, he hasn't seen it yet. What's all that mean? No one sees it in the moments leading up to it. You're not going to know the scale of what's going to do. From where you are right now in your life, you cannot imagine all that God has prepared for you. That scripture that says, I had not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into the minds of man all that he's prepared for those that love him. We always and almost only apply that scripture to heaven someday. 
I think we've misinterpreted that scripture. I think that speaks about your tomorrow, speaks about your every tomorrow. You can't imagine all that God has orchestrated that you will be a part of in your life if you'll allow him to. You can't imagine what he wants to do. Why is this moment so big? Why is this Acts chapter 10 moment such a significant deal? Because it's in that moment. And what's amazing is that this isn't Paul. You say, why is that amazing? Because Paul lived in the Gentile world. Paul was sort of credentialed by the Gentiles. He ultimately becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, preaches all over the Gentile world. He speaks the languages of the Gentiles. Paul is Jew and Roman citizen. Why not him? Because there is just something. It's what's even funnier is that <laughs> this guy that he sends gets in Paul's face about hanging out with Gentiles. That's Peter. There is something in the heart of God that's looking for the least likely candidate possible. Looking for the one with the most entrenched problems, can't possibly believe that they could be used to do it. Looking for a time that no one expects it. Looking for a place that seems insurmountable to the advancement of the kingdom of God. But in this Acts 10 moment, the gospel explodes out of Cornelius' house and it begins to explode through the preaching of Paul and Peter across the Gentile world. And you and I sit here because of Peter's obedience. Peter can't see that someday there was going to be a you, non-Jewish, who needed to be saved. But that's what's going on in this moment. He can't see Abundant Life Community Church from Acts 10. He couldn't even see Cornelius' house. You may not be able to see into tomorrow or the next tomorrow or the next tomorrow, but I want you to know that God has plans as significant in his work as was Peter's life for you. What do we do with it? How do you get there? All right, that's the introduction. Now I'm going to preach a little bit. No, no. Don't do that. That's not fair to all them people looking at their watches. All right? Woo, yeah, let's go. No, you Pentecostals. You, 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 all of you are Pentecostals. Listen, in the name of Jesus, you're all Pentecostal. Three quick things. How do you live in it when you can't see it? How do you not miss the divine moment of God in your life? Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if God would just show up one day and say, okay, you're living through a pandemic. Just take a breath. Let me show you what comes next. And then, look, you're, you're there. I know that you can't. You think that you can't do this. But what you don't realize, let me show you what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Oh, 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 some people are going to be really surprised by that, Lord. Yeah, all right. And you're going to step here. And then you're going to step here. And then next week it'll be here. And then next month it'll be here. And then next year it'll be here. And then you're going to be used to reach the whole world. Well, maybe not. But you get it? Wouldn't it be cool if God would do that? 
I just can't find anybody ever that he's done that for. Nobody. Nobody. That's just not the way the kingdom operates. So how do we live in a divine, in the, on the precipice? How do we live in the doorway? How do we live on the front porch of a divine moment and not miss it? Three real quick things. Number one, you got to be willing to let go of your historical position and your mindset. You got to let, you got to be willing to let go of your historical position and your mindset. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 19 is a prophetic scripture about the coming of the Messiah. All of the Jewish people in the time of Isaiah, all of the lineage from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through the 12 tribes, all of that focused on God's chosen people being Israel. That his Messiah would come to Israel. All of that true. But what they didn't understand was the plethora of scripture that says, and you will be a light to the nations. They only saw one. They couldn't see the Messiah coming for everyone. They weren't willing to let go of their historical position and their mindset. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a... And what if he's doing another one today? Oh, no, 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 no. God doesn't do any more new things. He only did new things a long time ago. Really? What if he's got a new thing for you? What if he's got a brand new thing that you've, he, a whole new career? I don't want a new career. That makes me kind of nervous. You know, the divine of God almost always makes us, is almost always unknown. There's almost always, I, I can't figure it out. I think we're not supposed to be able to figure out. We're supposed to just trust him. Be willing to let go of your historical position and your mindset. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. What does spring forth sound like? Doesn't sound like it kind of eased in, kind of, it kind of, I gave you a little bit and it just got to, you know, no, it sounds like it's you didn't know where you were going. And one day you walked in, whoosh, oh my, whoo, that is good. Yeah, you didn't know that was coming, did you? It springs forth. I don't want to preach right there. That was just extra. You can have that for free. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I want you to notice some things, though. I will make a way in the wilderness. Those who participate in God doing a new thing often spend some time in the... How many of you look forward to that period of time? No. And rivers in the desert... I don't really, I like that river in the desert part, Lord. I really don't care about that wilderness thing. If you're going to get to the rivers in the desert, you're going to have to walk through the wilderness. The unknown. Listen to this next one. It comes earlier in the same prophetic scriptures, verse 2 of Isaiah 43. And I really, my flesh doesn't care for this at all. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Lord, couldn't I just not? And you be with me? Anybody say amen? When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers. So water wasn't enough. Now i got to get in the river. Lord, I was, I was having a tough time treading water in the lake. Now i got to get in the river? Yes, you do. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, I like the not be burned part. How about when you don't walk through the fire, you won't be burned? That, that, that works. Does that work for anybody? 
How many of you feel the river and the fire that we are in right now? Anybody feel it? Anybody feel the, the potential for despair? You feel the potential to give up heart. You feel the potential to quit. Listen, there are going to be some rivers. There's going to be some fire. You're going to walk through them. It's going to be hard. But the flame shall not consume you. Be willing to let go. You're going to have to untie your boat. You're going to have to set sail on some uncertain waters. You're going to walk into some rooms that you're not going to know. You're going to go through some circumstances that you cannot figure out what that was about in the moment. Why? Because you can't see where God's taking you from where you are yet. Divine moments are bigger than what he could reveal to you and I. There's going to be something bigger than you know coming. But you've got to be willing to let go of your historical position and mindset. Number two... Make space for God to speak. Pastor, what's that mean? Two real quick, simple things, but very difficult to do in today's world. You're going to have to get alone and you're going to have to get quiet. I didn't say be lonely. And I didn't say just go out and mow your yard and count that as your prayer time. Boy, what do you mean? I put my headphones on, I'm worshiping. Okay, that's not what this is. This isn't Add God to something. This is make a time just for Him. See this hour? This is His time. You're going to have to do something that some of you are not going to be really convinced you can do. You're going to have to leave your phone outside of that room. (laughs) Turn it off. (gasps) You'll be okay. The president is not going to text you in that hour and ask you the nuclear launch codes. We're so tied to information and stimulus. And well, but listen, I gotta, and listen, I'm not trying to mess with your mode of operation. I love music, I love worship music. But when I'm doing worship music, I'm normally feeling it, I'm singing along with it. There comes a moment where I just need quiet for the Holy Spirit to really speak. Does he speak out of that music? Yes, he does sometimes. I love it. I'm wired that way. But because I'm wired that way, it's hard for me to just listen. And you're going to have to get comfortable being alone. And you're going to have to get quiet. Not just noise quiet. And there is a lot of noise in our world. But you're going to have to get quiet in here. Okay, Lord. This is all you. I'm listening. And you say, Pastor, sometimes you just sit there? Yeah. I just sit there. Until what? Until he's done. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to, do I set a timer? Do I, do I, what if I, how, how long? Listen. It's the unknown. Let him have you as long as he can. Psalm chapter 46, verses 9 and 10 says, watch this. We we love verse 10. Let me just read you verse 10. Guys, do you have these verses together? Can you just put up verse 10? Is that possible? Verse 10. Don't you love this verse? Be still and know that I am God. Don't you love that? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exhausted exhausted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Don't you love that verse? Put up verse 9. Oh, and I I just wish wish we hadn't read that verse. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. 
He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am. Oh, wow. In the midst, watch this, in the midst of the war and when bows are present and spears are are being slung around and chariots are in my, be still. Man, I'm going to be on my horse. Does it feel like our world right now has got a few wars going on? Does it feel like there are lots of bows and spears and chariots and lines are drawn and fire? And does it feel that way? It's in that atmosphere that you got to go, no, no. Be still. You get it? It's in those moments that the stillness and the presence of the Lord has the most influence. So, number one, be willing to give up your historical position and mindset. Make space for God to speak. Get alone. Get quiet. And number three, it's the Mount Everest. Be obedient. If it doesn't make any sense, and you know the Lord's told you to do it, do it. If you, go, if you don't know how that piece fits to the next, you don't, you don't feel like that's what you want to do. It doesn't even feel like that's the expedient thing. Be obedient. Get off this roof and go with those unclean, let go of that perspective, Peter, and go with these people. What you can't see, Peter, is I'm about to touch the whole world. Be obedient. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, Jesus is speaking The harvest is plentiful, he said, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And that's the way it often feels in the first step of a God-ordained divine moment journey. Worship team, would you come back, please? For a while, we were just shocked by the impact of COVID-19 on the church and our lives. But I want you to know there is a destination. There's an advancement. There is a revival that we can't see from where we are. Little pictures of it, little inclinations of it. I can't tell you the exact path to get there. I just know that God's got a divine moment, not only for our church, but for you individually. It's just over the horizon. Maybe you're trapped in your past. You hear your own voice telling you that you're not able. You're not smart enough. You're not young enough. You're too old. You missed your chance. Your relationships, your job is too consuming. You don't have time. I can't do the things that God's called me to do. Circumstances just won't allow movement from where I am. I'm locked into this place. I couldn't possibly go do that. Maybe you don't feel worthy. You don't know where I've been, preacher. You don't know what I've done. Yeah, but he does. Amen, brother. Preach it right there. See? You got it? God knows. I know, y'all, if it's distracting for you when I do that, I love that stuff. It's like the Lord, puts it. yeah, that's right there. It's like a godly, it's a heavenly amen through the mouth of babes. All right? COVID-19 is like a great metaphor for life right now. Filled with things you can't do, can't be. It's like the enemy. It's like he's revealed his hand. Well, I'm going to take everything from you. I'm going to take your freedom away from you. I'm going, to, I'm going to take your ability to fellowship with one another. I'm going to take all your celebrations, all your... Listen, I'm going to take church from you. Feels like that's the way some of us judge 
life as well. Certainly, it's like the enemy's played his hand. This is what he's really about. I'm going to take something from you. I'm going to keep you from doing things. I'm going to separate you from those you love. I'm going to separate you from the presence of God. I'm going to disjoin the body of Christ. But what he doesn't ever get is that our heavenly father it's the same Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 Joseph's been slowed into slavery his brothers have done everything to destroy him oh my goodness Potiphar's wife lies on him uh, the, the cup and the and the, the cupbearer and the baker forget him I mean it's just over and over and over and what the enemy can't seem to get is he's a pawn in the hand of a divine God who can take all of that and weave his people move his kingdom to a specific moment where his will is done That's what's going on right now, church. You think, oh my goodness, we got ropes on the pews. We're having to stream. Two-thirds of our people are still, I mean, goodness, you, you get all of that. I know, I know that God is doing something, preparing something that when it springs forth, oh my goodness, it's going to be something. Won't you stand with me this morning? That's true in your life and in the body of Christ. There's one last verse of scripture that I want to give you. We use it, I say it all the time. I want to shape it, present it a little different to you today. I've come to look at this verse because of the great reversal that's in it the pivot point. Things are moving one way and then they completely, in a way that we really don't comprehend, they change course. We don't feel the significance of it as much as I would like to. This John 10.10. The thief, he's just got one thing that he's always, one, one way He's stealing, and he's killing, and he's destroying all the time, everywhere. That's all he wants to do. Steal. He wants to take from you. What does he want to take from me? Every good thing. Every good thing. He wants to destroy whatever he touches. Relationships, job, health, mindset, peace. He wants to destroy it. He wants to kill, murder. You live in his kingdom. We live. He is the prince and power of the air in this place. You live in his kingdom. You work in his kingdom. You raise kids in his kingdom. You live as foreigners in his land. And he has powers you don't have. That's that, all that stuff I just told you, that's true, by the way, because you know, that's not, I didn't make that up. Even if you don't acknowledge it, it's still true. You face a horrible spiritual enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy every good thing that you've ever been or everything you'll ever be. That's, that's his nature. But then there's this pivot. There's this moment. There's this there's this reversal, this unbelievably significant reversal. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
It's Jesus saying that. But. But I have come. That you might have life. And that abundantly. You and I are living in a place and in a time where the enemy has reared his head and he's trying to steal and kill and to destroy everything that he had but over and over throughout time and in every situation where God is honored there always comes a moment that pivots that where there's a comma forgive me but where there's a but (laughs) and it turns and life abundantly springs forth how about you this morning bow your heads Lord, this morning, would you let faith arise? Let hunger arise. Let expectation arise. Because this season, in individuals' lives, Lord, I know some of the stories in the room. There are people here who have lost loved ones recently. They're still even in this moment, feeling the sharpness of the grief. It's that recent. And they can't see the joy that comes in the morning yet. Others are sending students off, sending their children, their grandchildren off into the unknown. Some here are walking out into the unknown. They can't see. We can't see what's over the horizon. We're all living, Lord, in this this moment in time. And if we're not careful, Lord, we'll just judge the moment based upon what we can see now and what we feel now. And the only way that good can come out of it is for it to be over. Lord, I've begun to have my eyes and my spirit open that there is, there are foundations being laid right now, Lord. Oh, Lord, the comma in that verse is being prepared. The, the moment, the pivot, the reversal moment is on the horizon, Lord. That moment where the enemy has been stealing and he's been killing and he's been destroying, Father, is coming to a close. And that great pivot, that great reversal is going to take place. And life abundantly is going to spring forth. Father, some need it individually. And we all need it in the body of Christ and across this world. So, Father, prepare us. Let that work of preparation be either begun or moved forward in people's lives this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. First of all, if you're here this morning and you just don't know Jesus. Guys, I need just a little bit more house light, please. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed, please. You just don't know him yet you know the story of him but you don't know him and you're not ready to spend eternity with him and you know you need to be you can't you can't possibly walk into God's divine moment and live in the fullness of the plan he has for your life until you surrender your life to him 
All of this begins with that moment first. You're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you know you need to. No one's going to embarrass you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'll be the one that sees you. Raise a hand up.